The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 3rd, 2019, on the basis of Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So today we're beginning this new series that's entitled, What Will Jesus Undo? And if I could sum up what this series is all about using just a single word, it would be the word hope. Hope is that very simple but very powerful conviction that things are going to get better. Tomorrow is going to be better than today. Our future is going to be better than our past. But you know, that simple but powerful conviction that things are going to get better sort of forces us to ask two very important questions. The first question is, how much? Sure, it's easy to say that things are going to get better, but how much better are they going to get? And when it comes to most people's conception of hope, here's where the first problem lies. You see, most people are far too easily satisfied. They set their expectations far too low. They are happy with simply incremental, gradual, step-by-step progress. As long as tomorrow is just a hair better than today, certainly no worse than in the minds of many, that's good enough. And it is good enough. But only if, because of how bad things have gotten, you have completely forgotten how good things are supposed to be. So, for example, let's say for the past several months you've been walking around on a right knee that has absolutely no cartilage left in it. You might go to the doctor and he might give you some powerful pain-dulling medicine and you might take it and think to yourself, boy, I feel great, but only because you've completely forgotten what an actual healthy working knee is supposed to feel like. Or, for example, let's say March 2020 rolls around. And for the first time in what seems like forever, the temperature rises above 50 degrees again. We will be outside in our shorts and in our t-shirts, happy at how wonderful it feels and how great the weather is, but only because another long Wisconsin winter has caused us to forget what truly beautiful weather really feels like. So it's easy to say that things are going to get better, but we, we have to ask that question, how much better are they going to get? The second question that hope forces us to ask is the question, says who? It's easy to say things are going to get better. Says who? Whose job is that really? Who's going to ensure that that does in fact happen? And here's where another problem with the the modern concept of hope is revealed. In our everyday speech, when we use that word hope, very often, in fact most often, it's in reference to things that are very much uncertain. I hope that it warms up again, at least for a couple of weeks before winter really sets in. I hope that my favorite football team wins the Super Bowl this year. I hope that that girl that I like says yes when I ask her out. I hope that I make the team. I hope that I get the part. I hope that I pass the test. It's easy enough to say that things are going to get better, but it really forces us to answer two important questions, how much and says who. And today, as we look at God's answers to those questions, we're going to see how the hope that God gives us is just so unbelievably great. 
God too says that things are going to get better. How much? Not just a little bit. Not just one step better than we have them today. Jesus promises us that everything that is wrong with our world and wrong with ourselves and wrong with our lives will one day be undone and one day everything will be exactly as God intended it to be. How much better are things going to get? That's how much. Says who? Says God. The very same person who promises it is the one who is able to guarantee it. The one and only person who can actually make it happen. And God's answers to those important questions about hope start today as we look, about, as we look at a very important part of the future that is in store for each and every one of you. Namely, you. You see, I think very often when we picture our future, we mainly picture stuff. We picture circumstances. Almost as if we could just take ourselves exactly as we are here today, transport ourselves to completely different circumstances, and everything would be great. Friends, rest assured, your future will not be better if it doesn't also include a better version of you. And thankfully it will. And again, not just by a little bit. Not just a a version of you that is one step better than you are today, but a completely brand new you. A you that is holy and perfect in God's sight. And that's exactly what God wants to show us today. As we look at these verses from Revelation today, John's message to us is, get a good look at the brand new you. These verses from Revelation come way toward the end of the book. You maybe know that Revelation is actually a collection of different visions about the future that the Apostle John received while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. These verses come at the very beginning of of what is really the last vision that John gets, a vision of, as we heard in these verses, the new heavens and the new earth. We'll be talking more about what exactly those terms mean in the coming weeks. But for now, just realize this is the future that God has in store for us, not while we live here on this earth, not even when our lives come to an end. This is the future God has in store for us when all of human history comes to an end. And the very first thing that John sees in this vision is this city called the New Jerusalem. He sees it and he calls it a holy City. In fact, he compares it to a bride, a bride that has been all prepared and beautifully dressed for her husband. And this city is coming down out of heaven, almost like a bride, walking down the aisle to her husband, her groom, waiting for her at the end. This city comes down out of heaven, and John sees that from that point forward, God and the people of this city would be together. God would live with them. They would live with God. We might say that this bride and this groom are going to live happily ever after. Do you know who lives in that city? You do. This city is, as as we often confess in the Apostles' Creed, it's what we call the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. That through faith in Jesus Christ, God sees each and every one of us as holy. He sees us as that bride, beautifully dressed, glowing and radiant, the attention of everyone in the room. And, and the eyes that matter most, the person whose attention matters most, is absolutely fixed, absolutely mesmerized by just how beautiful this bride is. Friends, that's you and that's me through faith in Jesus. 
We are not some project that God is willing to take on. We are not some lost cause that he is willing to give one more shot. Already now, through faith in Jesus, God sees us as that beautiful bride, as perfect and holy as his saints. So take a look at the brand new you. Now, what I'm going to say next is probably the most important thing I'm going to say, and it's absolutely vital for you to understand what John is seeing here. What John sees in these verses is already true of you and me. That through faith in Jesus Christ, already right now as we're sitting here today, we belong to the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. Already sitting here today, we are holy and perfect in God's sight. Already here today, he sees us as that beautiful bride, glowing and radiant. And when he takes a look at us, he wants to spend eternity with us, all because of what Jesus has done. That's how God looks at you today. The problem is, the challenge is that that status is invisible to everyone else, including you and me. See, this brand new you is pretty well hidden, I think you'd agree. It's hard to see this brand new you because instead, the you that you think of when you think of you is the you that greets you every morning when you look in the mirror. The you that I'm guessing in some ways you're ashamed of. The you that maybe at times you don't even want to be. The you that has all of those reasons that make you feel guilty. The you that has all of those things that didn't turn out as planned. God sees you as his bride through faith in Jesus Christ, but you can't see that. You see yourself very different. In fact, for that matter, so does everyone else. I was trying to think about this. What, what would it be like if everyone else could see us the way that God sees us? Here's the best I could come up with. I think it would be sort of like if you were out trick-or-treating in Mount Horeb on Thursday night, walking the streets, everybody kind of doing their thing, and all of a sudden, down the street, comes someone like Taylor Swift or LeBron James or Aaron Rodgers. What, what do you think would happen? Everyone would stop what they're doing, right? People would would stare and point and, and whisper to themselves. Eventually, someone would build up the courage to go over and talk to them and ask for an autograph. Pretty soon, everyone would be texting their friends who are on the other part of town, trick-or-treat, get on over here, it's LeBron James. If only the world could see us the way that God sees us. If only they could see that status that we have. But instead, instead they see us the way that, that Jesus said that they would see us in today's gospel. That they look at us and they see people who are living life the exact opposite of the way that they think life ought to be lived. That rather than being consumed with things like pride and and self-glorification, we are living a life where, where we prize humility and, as Jesus describes it, being poor in spirit. That rather than thinking that this world can satisfy all of our longings, can satisfy the deepest hungers of our heart, and therefore setting out with all of our strength to pursue those things, we live a life in which we know that the world can't possibly do those things, and so we don't even bother to try. And as a result, how will this world see us exactly the way that Jesus promises that they will? They will laugh and mock and hate and even think that we are the evil ones. God sees us a certain way. The problem is that he's the only one. And so this future that John wants us to see, 
It's not that something about our status is somehow going to change. We already have that status right now, but what's going to change is that when that city comes down out of heaven, everyone's going to see it. I mean, think about it. Maybe you've been to a wedding before where you didn't know anybody. Maybe you were the plus one of someone who got invited to the wedding. It might have been kind of hard to determine who was in the wedding party and who was just a guest. A lot of nice dresses in the room, a lot of dark suits, being worn by the men. It might be even harder to determine as you looked at the the bridal party to determine who was a groomsman, who was the best man, and who was actually the groom. They're all dressed the same. They might even be related to each other, and so they might look the same. But there is one person at that wedding that there is no mistaking, right? There is no mistaking the bride. You know who she is. And that's what Jesus is promising you, that on the last day, that status that you have right now, will one day be visible, will one day be obvious to everyone, including you. What that means is is what we'll see throughout this series. That in the meantime, there's some waiting to do. Jesus describes this as our future, not as our present. But in the meantime, don't settle. Don't settle for something that is far far inferior. Don't think to yourself that you, if you can just be a slightly better version of yourself, that'll be good enough. Don't fool yourself into thinking that your life's pursuit ought to be to just make enough gradual step-by-step improvements so that you can look at yourself and other people can look at you and you can finally be known and recognized as the person you want to be. You already have all of the status and all the standing before God that you could possibly want. And one day it will be visible to everyone. So in the meantime, wait. Get a good look at the brand new you. It's going to get this good. It's going to get that much better. Says who? We've kind of answered one of those important questions. What about the other one? I mean, what if this status that God says we have in Christ, what if it's not just invisible? What if it isn't real at all? What if the way that we see ourselves and the way that others see us is actually the real us and the reality of the situation? Jesus promises us that things are going to get better, but says who? Well, thankfully, John gives us the answer. John says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Things are going to get better. Says who? Says the one who is seated on the throne, ruling over all things. In fact, as he says these words to John, he doesn't just say them. He says, John, you're going to want to write these things down because they're that important and they're that certain. In fact, they're as good as done. And then he goes on to use a title to refer to himself. Did you catch it? He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Maybe you've heard that title used by God, uh, used for God before. What in the world is that all about? Well, maybe you find, have found yourself in a situation at some point in your life where you, you walked up to a group of people and very quickly you realized that before you walked up, they had been talking about you and not in a positive way. And maybe you've also been in a situation where you've you've been in a group of people and you realize that after you walk away, 
they're going to be talking about you and not in a positive way. Now, while you're with that group, you might do everything that you can to try and make them admire you and respect you and trust you. But finally, at the end of the day, your words and what you do doesn't really matter all that much. What determines what those people are going to think about you is what they said about you before you showed up and after you left. Do you see why it's such a comforting thing that God would say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. You might not think very much of yourself. God says, who cares? I was around long before you were, and I'll be around a lot long after. The world around you might not think very much of you. God says, who cares? I created the world, and one day I'm going to destroy it. The first and the last words that determine who you are and the status that you have before God, those words do not belong to you. They do not belong to anyone else. They belong to God. And he has proven that you can trust him when he says about you what he says. Why? Because that status that he promises you requires absolutely nothing of you. Jesus says that this status as, as God's bride, as a, saint, as a saint, it comes at no cost. Not at no cost entirely, but at no cost to you. There certainly is a cost, but he's the one who pays it. He's the one who picks up the tab. We might picture a bride, in fact, who has very expensive taste, who wants the designer label dress and the fancy veil and shoes and makeup and hair and the whole nine yards and every decision that she makes, the bill just keeps getting larger and larger and larger until finally it's all done and eventually one person, not looking forward to this, the father of the bride, <laughs> has to pay that bill. You and I are that bride with very, very expensive taste. Every time we sin, it's just one more swipe of daddy's credit card and the debt keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why God sent Jesus, to live perfectly in our place and to die innocently in our place so that he can give us that status of being a saint, of being his bride for absolutely free. This is the status. This is the future that is in store for you. Says who? Says God. That's who. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how there are a couple of big problems with today's concept of hope. Well, believe it or not, the world would look at God's definition of hope and, and find quite a few problems with it itself. For example, if this is really what our hope is all about, if, if everything about what is going to get better is off in our faraway future, some might say, well, that's kind of going to make you worthless in the present. If everything that you're looking forward to is someday far down the road, then in the meantime, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to lift a finger to try and make the world a better place. There's that whole idea that the heavenly-minded are of no earthly good. You've maybe heard that before. As we go throughout this series, I, I hope to show you how the exact opposite is true, starting with what we see today. That if this is the status that we have, and if the future that is in store for us is that one day that status will be made visible and obvious to everyone, what, what kind of difference might that make in your life? Well, what would happen if you went through life without ever feeling the need to prove anything to anyone? Without ever feeling like you had a chip on your shoulder 
without ever feeling like you had to try and overcompensate for your insecurities? What if you never had to keep anything hidden from the people that you love? What if you never had to try and pretend to be someone that you're not? Think that might have a positive difference in your life? Or, or what if, as God's saint, you strove to live the way that God wants you to live and maybe even made some progress, maybe even made some pr- improvement in how you lived, but never once did you view any of that as a way or a reason to feel superior to anyone else? Never once did you view your status as cause for you to be arrogant or condescending toward others. What if you were always ready and eager to forgive, always willing to be patient with other people? Because you know the truth about who you are and where you stand before God. Those are just a few of the endless implications for our lives that this status, this future that God has in store for us will have. So take a good look at the brand new you. Yes, you have to wait for that status. You have to be fully revealed. But in the meantime, watch and see the difference that it makes. Amen.